Welcome to Credo, with me, Father Andrew Eburn, to the podcast journeying through the various articles of the Creed, the fundamental statement of our Catholic faith. Last week, we began looking at that part of the Creed which explained the relationship between Jesus and God, Jesus as the Son of God, only begotten Son of the Father. There was some occasionally perhaps abstruse theology, but I hope you'll agree important nonetheless. Well, brace yourselves, because this week we have still more theology and more on that central question of the divinity of Christ. So this is our article for today. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, consubstantial with the Father, through him all things were made. In fact, let's be honest, quite a lot of theology, there's really no getting around this, so I hope you'll forgive me if we approach this in the order, so to speak, in which it makes the most sense, or rather, if we take the simpler ideas first and end with the more complicated ones. So probably uh, you won't be surprised to hear that I'm going to talk about the word consubstantial, consubstantial with the Father, last of all. I'm going to begin uh, with the very last phrase of this week's section, the phrase, through him all things were made. Jesus is present and active through all time and outside time as well. So for sure, he is present and active in Palestine in 1 AD or 30 AD or whatever, but he doesn't begin and end. His presence in our lives doesn't begin and end in that time. He is also present and active, of course, in our lives now, today, in the sacraments above all, in the real presence of the Mass. And he is also present and active in the beginning. He is present and active in the creation of the world. Jesus is the eternal word. So let's just remind ourselves once again of those words of St. John that we referenced last week. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And there you have it, a Jesus present and active in the creation of the world. Now, there are various reasons why this is important, but let's just take one of them. Uh, it is important, for example, this, this pre-existence of Jesus because of the strong light it throws on the Incarnation. It makes, if you like, the Incarnation even more special. St. Ephraim, for example, writes a wonderful hymn about the Nativity, when he talks about what happens when Christ enters the womb of Mary, what happens when the Eternal Word, who has existed for all time, enters into time and enters into the womb of Mary. So St. Ephraim says, The establisher of all entered as a rich one. He emerged poor. He entered her a lofty one. He emerged humble. He entered nourisher of all and acquired hunger. He entered the one who gives drink to all and he acquired thirst. Stripped and laid bare, he emerged from her womb the one who clothes all. Isn't that wonderful? Now the next phrase, 
uh, we'll look at because it ties in with this uh, theme of creation. The next phrase is begotten, not made. And really, uh, we dealt with this uh, precise issue last week. In last week's episode, Jesus is begotten, not made. So he is not created like another object in creation, because if that were the case, he would not be God. Uh, and again, if you remember, in our third episode, we talked about that really important distinction expressed in the book of Genesis between the creator and the creature. Uh, one of the key distinctions in our understanding, not just of God, but of ourselves. We are not God. We do not invent ourselves. Well, of course, Jesus is divine, so he is not a creature. Rather, he is one with the creator. Okay, so let's now look at the start of today's passage. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. So this draws on the opening verses of the letter to the Hebrews, one of the New Testament letters which dates from the first century, uh, not so long after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, and which is perhaps the first really thoroughgoing piece of theology in the church's history. The first time, that is, that someone has sat down and written down something just to try and explain the nature of Jesus, who Jesus is. And the very first verses of the letter to the Hebrews say this, God in these last days has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. So, here's a concept we have already come across. Uh, God created the world through Jesus, the role of Jesus in creation. And then something else, this evocative phrase, he is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. Jesus reflects the glory of God. And actually, uh, the original language is perhaps a little stronger and more particular. It's a, it's a very unusual Greek word, apaugasma, which uh, literally means, uh, what is quite a rare word in English as it happens, it means refulgence or effulgence, a kind of divine light. And we find this same phrase in one other place in the Bible and only in one other place, which is the Book of Wisdom. And this is what Hebrews is referring to. So the book of Wisdom, a wonderful book of the Bible, which, like so much in the Old Testament, points towards the New Testament and points towards Christ. So the book of Wisdom, again, describes, for example, wisdom being present when God made the earth. But more specifically, it uses uh, that word we found in Hebrews, a paugasma, or refulgence, or divine reflection, to describe wisdom as a reflection of eternal light, a spotless mirror of the working of God, and an image of his goodness. Uh, so I hope you can see that this uh, divine radiance is uh, an established scriptural way of indicating the presence of God. And when we say in the creed, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, we're drawing on these scriptural examples to show the absolute identity of Christ with God the Father. 
the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And then finally, let's come to this curious phrase which we say at Mass every Sunday and which so many of us must at some point have wondered at. Consubstantial. Consubstantial with the Father. What does this mean? Why are we saying it? Well, to understand the phrase and the idea of denote, it's perhaps helpful just to stand back and to try to understand how it came about. Uh, so I guess we could start by making a general observation, which is that theological developments in the church are often reactive. That is, it's not so much that the church proposes new and innovative ways of thinking about God. Uh, more often, it's that someone, either inside the church or outside, comes up with ways of talking about Jesus that are misleading or unhelpful or just plain wrong. Uh, the classic example, which we've come across more than once in this podcast, would be that Jesus is not actually divine. He's just a good man, a very nice man, a healer, etc., but not really God. And then reactively, the church, as a guardian of the truth, says, well, that's not quite right. The truth is actually this. And so in the case of the Nicene Creed, the church is striving uh, striving, as she has always done as, and as she is still doing today, for a proper understanding, a correct understanding of just who Jesus is, striving not to say battling for the truth. And you know, we all have to do this as Catholics in our own way. You know, the number of half-truths or distortions or just plain lies about what Christians believe, what Catholics believe, what the Church teaches. It has always been the way, and it's no different today. Anyway, uh, one of the key issues, as we've seen at the time of the formulation of the Nicene Creed, uh, one of the key issues where the Church uh, has had to battle for truth to be known is the divinity of Christ, his relationship with God, the nature of his divinity. And where, uh, when it comes to this key question, you have a range of heresies, if you like, concerning the divinity of Christ. Some people saying he is half man and half God. Others saying he is not quite God, but he is somehow superhuman, like a Marvel Avenger. Others saying he is only and wholly human. Others saying he is only and wholly God, etc., etc. So you have this debate raging, full of sound and fury, with some truth and lots of unhelpful stuff drowning it out. And now this is the job of the council. Now, this is often why councils are called, to settle a central question when you have a great panoply of conflicting answers. And what the church comes up with after much debate is this word, consubstantial. It comes from the Latin consubstantialis, uh, which in turn comes from the Greek homoousios, Homo ustios. Now, ustios, or, or substance, is, well, I guess, really a term from Greek philosophy, which means something like uh, the unique, uh, singular identity of a thing. So, homo ustios means absolutely one in substance, one in essence, one in being. Jesus is absolutely one in substance, in essence, in being with God. And actually, Jesus in the Gospels, does talk specifically about 
his oneness with God. In the Gospel of John, for example, Jesus prays to God for his disciples, asking that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And he urges his disciples, part of the same discourse, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. So this absolute identity of Jesus with the Father then feeds into the theological term homoousios or contubstantialis or in, in, our, in our modern English uh, contubstantial. Okay, um, so um, I'm sure you'll agree that is more than enough theology for, for one episode. But just, just one last thing. That prayer that Jesus makes to the Father for his disciples, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that prayer actually carries on. And Jesus then says that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me. So I in them, and you in me. Jesus says he is one with the Father, but he is also one with his disciples, one with you and I. It works both ways. So perhaps finally we should point out that, that the consubstantiality, as it was originally conceived and declared by the Church, works both ways. It's not just that Jesus is consubstantial with God, important that it is, it is also that he is consubstantial with you and I. And now that really is a miracle. The Council of Chalcedon, which followed on from the Council of Nicaea, declared that Jesus Christ is, as I quote, perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, consubstantial with the Father according to the Godhead, and, and this is the important bit, consubstantial with us according to the manhood. When I proclaim the creed, I proclaim my belief in one who is totally, truly, and holy God, and at the same time, totally, truly, and holy man. And if we think for a moment about this very last point, Jesus is consubstantial with God the Father, but he is also consubstantial with man consubstantial with me. Now isn't that amazing? That God, through Jesus Christ, and because of his great love, should choose to share my life so completely. And who, because of that consubstantiality, is able to work miracles in my life and invite me to share in his divinity just as he has chosen to share in my humanity. Thank you so much for joining me this week and do join me once again next week for the next episode and the next article of the Creed. May God bless you all and may he specially bless that journey of discovery we make together into the beauties of the Catholic faith. Amen.